This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Stephen Howland, Daniel Berg, Callum McCauley, Kevin Hall, and... That's pronounced <coughs> George White. That's George the name you're looking for. White. George yes. White. George White. George. A collection of question marks. Five improbable entities stuck together in a pit of darkness. No logic, no reason, no explanation. But this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rob. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the league hits the 21st century. Rodrigo is enormous, Stevens unknown, and everybody on the show has hairy feet, even if we don't come from the Shire. Plus, giant, fat, drooling, bug-eyed monsters, and we're reviewing Battle Pug. Don't forget the 40-foot pooper scooper, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome, everyone, to the Major Spoilers podcast, a show where we give you our opinions our thoughts, our commentary, our reactions to the comics and pop culture industry, and maybe even a little humor thrown in there. Maybe. <laughs> Very maybe, little. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> this week on the show, we've got a lot going on, including a discussion um, about some new comics that are out this week. But before we get to that, let's do some news. <laughs> Monkey Brain Comics launched this week and announced an exclusive digital comics distribution deal with Comixology. The Joker returns in October. Inspector Spacetime gets an official, unofficial title, trailer, film, something or other. And the Hobbits are headed to the San Diego Comic-Con. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see where we land. Joker you space shall not pass! Four. Inspector Spacetime. It's on again, off again. But, oh, there it lands right there. The Hobbit headed to the San Diego Comic-Con. Now... Um, everyone has been anticipating The Hobbit. It arrives in December. Peter Jackson's uh, look at the uh, first book from uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien takes place in Hall H, the biggest hall at San Diego Comic-Con. should have about 5,000 people sitting in that hall, and more than likely they're going to show a little snippet from the film. Maybe, my guess is, stuff um, maybe about as long as the stuff that they showed at CinemaCon a couple of months ago. So are we talking like uh, an extended trailer or like a segment of the like well, a continuous it de- segment? Well, it depends. Of the film? Um, when I went and they did uh, Superman Returns, it was like an extendo trailer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, at CinemaCon, they showed like I think 10 minutes, uh, like a sizzle reel mm-hmm. uh, of the movie. And so it'll be interesting to see what they're going to show. Of course, they haven't really announced on on what they're, what they're doing. But I think the most important... Interesting thing about this is uh, the fact that they're probably going to have to show this at 48 frames per second because that's what Peter Jackson mm-hmm. has been uh, talking on and on and on about mm-hmm. since they started production of this. Um, for people who aren't in the know, and I'm sure everybody already knows this, but just in case you don't, a standard film shot at 24 frames per second uh, just because of the um, slowish uh, frame rate. You get a lot of motion blur. Uh, as people move, and if you want to know kind of what motion blur is, just kind of wave your hand in front of your face, in front of your eyes, you'll see it kind of blur out. Do it do it right now, uh, especially if you're riding the train or a bus. And, yes. Uh, you're listening. To yes, the people around you will appreciate it. You can say, and, and as you do it, just yell at the top of your lungs, motion blur, I see it, motion blur. He's right, Mom. 
Um, television. They is will at, truck you away. <laughs> uh, television is shot at 30 frames per second. So if you see um, soap operas are generally video. Right. So we see things. Nightly news is at 30 frames per second. Um, film and, and uh, um, episodic, some episodic television is shot on film. So that's why it has that more softer look to it. But at, 40 fr- at 48 frames a second, you're essentially doubling the normal film rate, which means you're reducing the shutter speed and the idea and the thought behind this is, and it's in, it's actually there, uh, is that you reduce that uh, motion blur, mm-hmm. you make it more like real life, mm-hmm. and therefore it, it's supposed to look like real life. And when The Hobbit was shown at, at CinemaCon um, not too long ago, man, the critics did not like that at all. They said it didn't look like film. Right. It didn't look, you know, it looked like a soap opera. And dang it, we know soap operas suck. Yeah. So, <laughs> Rodrigo, why is this? Well... It's because they're right. It doesn't look like film because the, that faster frame rate makes it look like video. Yeah. And people have come to associate the look of film mm-hmm. with major motion pictures and right. the look of video with lower budget stuff. Right. And that's that's how it – you know, there's all these things that we've associated with video, all these things that we've associated with film. For example, I remember one year they did the MTV uh, Video Music oh, yeah. Awards at In, 24 yeah. frames per second. Mm-hmm. And it – it, it didn't really weird. feel like it was live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt recorded, you know, right. or it didn't feel like it had happened recently because it felt like I was watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people responded in the same way. Likewise, if you shoot a major motion picture in video, it feels like it was shot by a TV yeah, crew, crew, by, by, mm-hmm. by a news crew, mm-hmm. and that it happened last week. So it's it's really kind of this weird perception in our heads. Mm-hmm. And to an extent... Uh, it's also part of our electrical system because we run at a 60-cycle right. uh, electrical system here in the United States. Over in Europe, they run at uh, 50 cycles per second. So their video actually runs at 25 frames a second, which is closer to the 24 frames a second of film. So their television and their films really look a lot like each other. So mm-hmm. I'm sure this is going to be a, a huge eye-opener for them uh, when they see something projected at 48 frames per second. Um, the <coughs> other thing that's kind of really weird about this is that um, we go to movies to escape reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that escapism that we see in the theater. And when we're presenting something that's too real, and even though they may say, oh, it's drawing you more into the environment, it doesn't look like fantasy to us. It doesn't look make-believe. Yeah. And especially when we see, you know, little hobbitses running around with their furry feet, and we see the golemses and the dragons and all that, suddenly it does look all fake and not realistic. So, yeah. uh, Matthew, what, what are your thoughts on, on this? Well, on the other hand, I mean, the for, I think the scariest thing I ever saw in terms of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone was an episode called Number 22. It's not the scariest. It's not even the best. It's actually pretty mediocre. But it was one of the very few Twilight Zone episodes that was shot on videotape. And to this day, I clearly remember seeing it and being really, really scared by it because of the immediacy. And, you know, being really drawn into the horror story being told because of that immediacy. And I think that it could honestly and, you know, when it comes to these days with the with the digital frame rates and all the the lens flare and everything that you see in the movies, I'm not entirely sure that everybody's even going to recognize consciously recognize the difference but i'll bet you even money that we have people complaining and trying to find a way no, to explain I, you you uh, you can you'll, you you will well, certainly notice the difference no, but but he's right most people are right. not going to consciously right right notice right, that. right they will They're have not that, gonna, that no, moment uh, of like 
why does this look weird? It, there, there was a, uh, a um, Thirty Rock does once a year does a live episode. Yeah, and the opening line for one of them is you know because it's shot on video, right? Um, or it looks like video shot at thirty frames per second. Um, Alec Baldwin's character walks in and is like, "What's going on? It looks like a Mexican soap opera in here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and that's <laughs> right, right, right. that's what people are gonna feel. They're like. Uh, no, no, they're not going to say. They're this not going like yeah, a yeah. Hallmark movie. Yeah, they're not going to say, "Oh, look yeah. at the frame rate on this." They're going to say, right. "Wow, this looks sharper. This looks like television. This, this isn't a movie. Weird. Where's the movie that I paid money for?" Which you know yeah. is really odd, Rob, because you know gamers today are all about the frame rates on their games, right? And and running something at 120 frames per second in their uh, World of Warcraft or their uh, Game of Thrones or whatever that they're playing these <laughs> days. Game you know that game, Thrones. that Game of Thrones, that their first video game, that first Thrones. person shooter that everybody's all all crazy you, about. You, you, isn't you, that you. isn't that what you guys are all I into? So I mean, you see something that's fake on the screen running at 50, 60, 120 frames a second, shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? I honestly wouldn't know. I, <laughs> well, I'm. It's gonna be the very my here. my computer runs at twelve frames a second. <laughs> if I'm I have an Amiga twenty, it depends who he gets to crank it. <laughs> Powered by Steam. Now, uh, I actually don't understand the frame rate in video games, other than I, I can tell when it's a reasonable frame rate versus mm-hmm. a very bad frame rate. Mm-hmm. That's about the extent of what I can actually discern. Well, so when it, when you see a very high frame rate, what is your reaction? Uh, I can kill the bad guys better. Okay. Uh, it's, it's well, and that's the other thing is in video games, uh, video games are their own medium. Right. And, and they're, they're young. I mean, obviously video games have been around for a long time, but, uh, you know, kind of true to life video games are very, are very young. Mm-hmm. Right. So they still get to define what a high frame rate means to them. Movies mm-hmm. have been around forever, and movies at 24 frames per second have been around yeah, since, since movies. Yeah. Right? Movies have always sure. been at 24 frames per second. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're talking about a gigantic history. And right. if you look at video games, they could do a video game at 24 frames per second, and people will be like, oh, this kind of feels like I'm yeah. playing a movie. This kind of feels quaint. But, but you know, yeah, they yeah. still get to define that. Right, right. The weird thing for me, though, when it comes down to it is I think it's going to be at least perceived by your, your general populace as kind of just another stylistic trick. I watched uh, Chronicle this weekend. Mm-hmm. And Chronicle found footage, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem we have is that the found footage that was found – some of it couldn't have been found. Yeah, especially in the third yeah. act, it really got to the yeah. part where... The third act, but that first act you know, where they're like, not the even, camera was not lost even POV and destroyed, cameras. but we saw all that footage as though it happened in real time. And watching that movie, part of my mind went, this w- this can't really be happening. You know, I, I can't get past the fact that I'm supposed to be watching this on somebody's iPhone right, right. out the window of the Space Needle. But as I watch the movie, I'm like, ah, I can get past it. It's, you know, it's not that big well, a deal. Well, here, here's, here's what I think is going to happen. Uh, the thing with, with Hall H is people are there to see and to enjoy and cheer and revel in the hype. Right. And stab each other in the eye. And just, you know, hope not. rub Comic-Con goodness all over themselves. So mm-hmm. you're not going to see people go to Hall H. Well, I'm. I hope this isn't a, the case, but I don't think we're going to see people in Hall H who watch this Hobbit bit and then after it's over just start booing. Right. They're going to applaud. They're going to go crazy. They're going to go nuts. They're going to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right. Hall H holds a lot of people. Yeah, it but does. But you are still going to see 
but it doesn't hold everybody who's going right. to go to Comic-Con. Right. So the people that are going to be in line since three days before Comic-Con even opens to see this Hobbit mm-hmm. preview are going to be the guys who really well, want to see the Hobbit. Well, and I yeah. think that when they're in Hall H and the live stuff that they show from Hall H, you're just going to see people going nuts. And this is fantastic. This is wonderful. But the minute they get out of Hall H, you know, I had a moment to think about it. And this did really look like Mexican soap opera. You know, uh, it'll Why be Why has it got to be a where, Mexican uh, soap opera? Right before, right before all this goes up, uh, a fan comes up and he's like, "Oh, I really, I really love this, and I'm glad that I've been a part of it." And he pulls off his mask, and it's Andy Circus. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. It would have probably Dang given it away stops. in the fact that the mask he was wearing was green and had all these like <laughs> little, white little tennis balls all over. Like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Saturday screening should allow fans to see more footage uh, of the uh, of the movie than what we've seen online in the trailer. Uh, that happens on Saturday, July 14th in Hall H. The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, that's part one of a two-part movie, mm-hmm. uh, hits theaters December 14th, 2012. Yeah. All right. We uh, want you to head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can check out that story and read a whole lot more, including that little bit about the Joker. Got his face cut off. Coming back in October, Scott Snyder writing that. Uh, you also can check out the Top 5 podcast. Rodrigo did a casual 60 uh holiday 4th of July kind of themed deck. Lots of explosions and other things, I'm sure. Yep, and lots of friends coming over. Yeah. And, of course, right now, we are looking for some help. And we've got some uh, needs. We need some writers. And we need some people who understand code. So if you're a good writer, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. There's a link in your show notes to the writer's uh, call for help. And there's one if you are a coder and you know WordPress and PHP and JavaScript and and jiggity joomla <laughs> yeah, not joomla uh, but wordpress and the gantry framework all of that stuff we're looking for coders who know that stuff inside and out who can tweak plugins and style sheets and all of that stuff over at majorspoilers.com when we come back we're going to talk about some reviews how to get a major spoilers shout out if you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show all you have to do is the following steps number one Visit Majorspoilers.com. 2. Click on the Make a Donation button. 3. Donate $10 or more to the cause. 4. Sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you so much for everyone who's contributed to the cause. It does uh, help keep things going. Helps us uh, write more news stories, helps us find more writers, and helps us write a crap ton of reviews. This week we've got a lot of reviews. We've got stuff from Image Comics. We've got stuff from DC Comics. We've got stuff from a new independent comic group called Monkey Brain Comics. This was announced this past week. Chris Roberson, uh, many of you have known, he's been on the show before. He was working for DC, kind of had a very um, public Public. exit. And uh, now he's up in, I think, Seattle, I think is where he's at. And he and his wife have launched Monkey Brain Comics, a spinoff of his Monkey Brain books. And he's collected a whole bunch of uh, independent creators, some of them online comic creators, and they've worked with Comixology to release a big series of books. They've got over 30 projects in the works. The first series of books actually came out before Wednesday. There was so much, and this is one of the things, and maybe when we talk with Chris Roberson, um, he'll tell us more about this, but um, they got so much buzz off the initial news on Monday 
the first lineup of comics wasn't supposed to hit Comixology until July 4th. And because it's all digital, they're like, well, let's just flip the switch now. And so they flipped it two days early. So we got to look at some of the uh, cool stuff. And this week I am taking a look at Amelia Cole and the Unknown World. This is by DJ Kirkbride and Adam Knave with art by Nick Brokenshire. This is the story of a girl named Amelia. Mm-hmm. And she lives in two worlds. She actually spends time in, uh, for Potter fans, the, the Mundy world, the mundane, or I guess that would be Fables fans, the, mm-hmm. uh, the muggle world, right. a world that has no magic, our world. But then she uses a portal to cross back over into the magic world, the mm-hmm. world where she grows up with her Aunt Danny. And you're really not supposed to be crossing back and forth between the worlds. It's kind of frowned upon. And this uh, issue kind of drops us in the middle of Amelia's world. She's a, I'd probably say, 18 to 25-year-old range um, magician. And apparently she's been getting herself involved with a lot of police business that she's not supposed to be getting involved in. So the magic police already know what what's up, and they already figure out that she's trouble. Mm. Um but she keeps crossing back and forth, and they've never really caught her crossing back and forth between worlds. But this issue opens with her fighting a, what is it, a, um, a persuasion demon. Mm. And she's fighting it in the street, and the persuasion de- demon can make people die. Uh, the only thing is she suddenly realizes after the fight is over that, oh, wait a minute. I'm not in the magic realm. I'm in the real world. Holy crap. So she runs back home. She's talking to her aunt figure out that all of her crossing back and forth between the worlds has created a small rift. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's allowing these demons and other things to escape into the real world, at which time the police show up and want to arrest her for breaking the law and causing all sorts of problems. Thing is, Amelia has uh, lived her entire life going between these two worlds. Her parents are dead. Her aunt's been raising her. But she's actually from a different world, a third world. An unknown world, (laughs) so to speak. And it's only when the police are trying to arrest her and break down the door of her aunt's apartment and her aunt dies in the process that she discovers this doorway to another world. Now, the way these doorways work is there actually has to be a physical location on the other side. Mm -hmm. It's a doorway. So in our real world, she goes through a grocery store to a magic door in the back, which connects her to her aunt's apartment. She finds this magical, mystical door. It's so magical and mystical it glows red, and there's even one of those in an emergency break glass things so mm-hmm. that she can turn the doorknob. She enters into the world only to realize that there's no building on the other side. The building has just recently been demolished. Mm-hmm. So she has no way to get back to the magic world. So she is stuck in an unknown world. She was already having discussions with her aunt about um, bringing magic to the real world. So we don't know if this world is magic, doesn't have magic, anything about that. It It's a lot, you know, it's kind of a... These uh, books that Monkey Brain Comics is putting out um, run between 13 and 22 pages. I think this is one of their longer Mm -hmm. series. It's not bad. It's a lot to have to read through because it doesn't just present things to you. You kind of have to piece paragraphs together all throughout the issue to kind of figure out her entire backstory, which isn't a bad deal. um, But it does kind of make reading this a little bit of a hassle. Uh, But for $1.99 for a digital comic, this is a pretty good deal. Uh, Amelia Cole in the Unknown World's got some nice art. Um, it's got a good story, for, you know, for a digital first or an online comic that's coming to the digital world. Uh, I'm liking it. I'm giving it three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Nice. And it's available now through Comixology. So there you go. And there's a lot of other books. Uh, 
Uh, Chris Roberson has a book called Edison Rex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a uh, supervillain who decides that the best thing for him to do is kill the, the hero, his arch nemesis, so that he can make the world a better place. And he does it in the first issue, and then he's like, well, now what am I going to do? Right. Um, so they, there's that, and there's about four or five other books that are launched this week that people can go check out from uh, Monkey Brain Comics. Let's jump over to some DC stuff, Rob. Uh, a lot of people talking about before Watchmen. Uh, Matthew's already reviewed three of the books already, Matthew. You did uh, Silk Spectre, so. mm-hmm. um, the, Comedian, Silk Spectre and Comedian. the Comedian, and the, the Minutemen. And the Minutemen, okay. So this past week saw the release of Night Owl, number one. Mm-hmm. And Rob, give us a breakdown. Uh, this one was the one I was actually looking forward to the most, because Night Owl, I think, was the one who got the least backstory in the Watchmen. So this is the modern not at Night this Owl, not the, the Minutemen's. Okay. Not the Minutemen one. The Minutemen one is going to have all his backstory in Minutemen. Uh, <laughs> go figure that, right? Uh, right. But this one is Daniel. Uh, Dryberg. Dryberg, okay, yeah. That never actually said the name in the book, and I forgot to look it up because I'm always ahead of the game. That's why I'm uh, here. Thank you. But it's showing how Daniel decides as a... Uh, uh, late teenager, he decides that he's going to try and figure out who the Night Owl is and wants to help him. Uh, it shows him finding Night Owl, uh, being really clever about it. Uh, he hooks a microphone up to the back of the uh, owl car and listens for him to figure out where in the city he would be as he's headed mm. to certain places and tracks him down that way. And then it goes through the training for him to become, or will not to become Night Owl, it goes uh, through the original one training him, mm-hmm. and then it goes on his first adventure as Night Owl, and then meeting the uh, characters that are actually comprising the Watchmen. I, so is this kind of like a Robin story? Is that essentially what this is like? Mm. Kind of. It, it works. It actually feels more like Tim Drake Robin, because mm-hmm. he's the one who yeah. finds... right. Right. Hollis Mason, like he right. figures out Hollis Mason's night owl by finding the owl cave. Right. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what he actually calls in the book. Mm-hmm. Just, I thought that was hilarious. It uh, goes through a little discussion with uh, him and Hollis about becoming a sidekick, and then Hollis does some training. He's like, after you find out that Daniel's father is beating his mother and is kind of a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father has a heart attack. At the funeral, Hollis Mason's like, yes, I'll train you. When should we start? Uh, and they start doing training. They have this cool little thing of, I don't want to be called Owl Kid or Owl Boy. I was going to say, do they use some kind of like baby owl term? Is there a term for yeah. a baby owl? Uh, awesome. <laughs> it's not chick. <laughs> I think it is chick. Pretty much cub. owl chick. Cub. It's an owl cub. Is it? No. I, I, I don't think okay. I'm pretty I sure, didn't know if I'm that's what... I'm pretty sure what... almost all birds are going to be chicks. Okay. Right. But he's not called uh, nah. owl chick or and anything like that. He never actually becomes <laughs> Night chick. Hollis's sidekick. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, basically, does the training thing, and mm-hmm. then after they've been training for a little while, and they have made uh, Daniel's hood, mm-hmm. Hollis tells him he was going to take a few days off, and then announces to the world that he's retiring as Night Owl. Oh, okay. 
Uh, it mentions, you know, he wants to do some teaching, maybe write a book. Uh, oh, there's actually, a, yeah, there, there's a, and, I'm sure there's a lot of that in, in yeah. this series, right? Uh, my favorite one was a couple of people talking about the uh, fabric that Rorschach makes his Max oh, yeah, out yeah. of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as a little sideline thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then Daniel finds out the same way everybody else in the world finds out that he's retiring because of, from the news. He mm-hmm. sends it as a press announcement, press release, and when he's questioning him, uh, Hollis is like. Ah, well, I decided to do this because I was questioning what I was doing, and the Night Owl legacy will continue. You're not Owly. You're not Owl Kid. You're not Owl Boy. You're Night Owl. Cool. Excellent. So, how's the writing by Straczynski? Ah, it does a good job. Uh, it feels appropriate. Uh, as I can't remember the characterization of most of the... It's been long enough since I read the Watchmen book that... None of them feel out of character. Rorschach feels really good. Rorschach actually finds Night Owl on his first night out mm-hmm. to partner up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it, it feels appropriate to the uh, the source. And everything flows really well, despite the fact that we're going over like three years worth of story in this one issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks good too. Uh, said a couple weeks ago, I didn't notice anything that really struck me as bad or good. Who handled the art? The Kubert brothers, or Joe oh. and Andy. Joe and Andy. Yeah. Or Adam and Andy. I'm sorry. No, Andy it's and Joe, Joe is Joe's dad and, and Andy. Yeah, Joe's the father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was Andy and what's the other one? Adam. 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 Yeah. But no, Andy and Joe. That's cool. Yeah, so it was good? Good yeah. art? Good art, good writing. Uh, really fast-paced and giving us a lot of... Uh, it's fast-paced while not feeling rushed, despite the fact that, like I said, it goes... I think it starts in 1962 and ends up in 1966, so it's four years of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's done really well. So what's the uh, bottom line? How many slices of meatloaf are you going to give uh, this thing? Four slices. Four slices of meatloaf for Before Watchmen Night Owl number one from DC Comics. Hey, I got one for you guys. So an old-timey British guy goes to a, a sauna, right? <laughs> He's in the sauna, and he uh, spends a while in there. And then, you know, this is, a, this is a very fancy place. So somebody comes out and asks him if he wants a towel. And there's one tower that is closer to him and one tower that, towel that is farther away from him. What does he say? I don't know. Night Towel. <laughs> oh, Rodrigo has suddenly gone oh. on this punny kick where for months now he's been saying, I hate puns. Now I won't tell jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Therefore, let's go to Matthew to talk about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. What is this? Volume 3, Century 2009? Correct. For those of you who have only seen the movie version of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, first of all, I'm sorry. And second of all, this is nothing like that in that it is, on occasion, good. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen actually, I believe, started out as a Wildstorm book. Uh, There were two volumes there. And right now, I believe it's published by Top Shelf. Yeah, I think that's that's the name of the company. Um, top shelf in this latest volume, rather than doing six issue arcs, has actually been kind of going with that European model that we talk about, 
where however long it takes Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill to make an issue, that's when the issue comes out. Um, this book, I believe the previous one came out five months ago, five or six months ago, and it was Century, colon, 1969. This book basically, strangely enough, picks up exactly where the last book left off and also 40 years later. Uh, basically, the conceit of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in Alan Moore's mind, the best I can see, is anything that happened anywhere in any fictional universe all happened in this world. So our original protagonists were Mina Harker from Dracula and Mr. Hyde, right. the Invisible Man from the Invisible Man. It's down now to Mina, who is immortal, Alan Quartermain, who uh, apparently drinks a special formula that he got from uh, Africa, Aisha, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and Orlando, uh, who is an immortal character who basically switches gender back and forth. Now, Orlando first appeared when uh, Century started, I believe two volumes ago, and Orlando is weirdly the character who is taking over the narrative, and it really feels, I don't necessarily want to say Mary Sueish because I kind of like him, her, but it's something where by the point of this issue, Alan and Mina are off screen for the better part of the issue. The first 30 of these 80 pages is just Orlando. And it's interesting to see them dealing with the conceits of modern times rather than, oh, these are all stories from, you know, 1865. Orlando's walking down the street and she walks past a sign that says Vincent Chase starring in Aquaman 2. Or, you know, she will pass by, you'll see all of these just ridiculous references to things that are actually, that's a reference, by the way, to Entourage. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make that clear because nobody laughed and I thought, oh, great, I made a reference that nobody got. But it's references to modern times and modern things. And apparently there was a little bit of a, of a to-do in that it takes off from the 1969 volume, which dealt with the events of uh, Rosemary's Baby with the attempt to birth the Antichrist. Nice. And the Antichrist in this book is strongly, uh, basically strongly implied to at least partially be Harry Potter. Yeah. And it's actually, it, it, it's one of those strange moments where it's actually kind of a, a, a agglomeration of Harry Potter and a character that Harry Potter was derived from. But reading this book for me has always been one of those moments where you're like, okay, wait, who... Who's that supposed to be? Orlando ends up in the in the spy agency, and she is uh, accompanied by J three, who looks just like Roger Moore, and J six, who looks just like Daniel Craig. Hmm. J three and J six, of course, are part of an attempt to make people believe that one of their greatest operatives of MI six is actually the same person over and over and over. If you are not somebody who wants to sit and think and have things looking at you and go, what is this? What is this supposed to be? Is that supposed to be the body of Rupert the Bear? Yes. Good. Okay. I'm good with that. This is probably not the book for you. But if you're willing to look at absolutely freakishly bizarre things for 80 pages and have it actually come together. This is a much more satisfying volume than either of the two previous century volumes in that it brings the story somewhere that I'm actually kind of happy with. After a 40-year absence, we see Orlando trying to get the band back together. There are Blues Brothers references. There's a reference to Arrested Development. 
if you go through this and you don't catch a reference, you probably don't actually read anything other than comic books. And there's a couple of references to comic books in here. But um, honestly, what it all breaks down to is just it's it's kind of like an extended jazz album. It's like Coltrane has gone off on a long solo and half the people in the room think it's amazing and half the people in the room think, well, this is nothing. And there's there's no in-between. There's a, a moment where I'm looking and I'm going, yes, I love that moment. Because for a panel, you see William Hartnell and Matt Smith as the first and 11th Doctors just walking down the street looking at the camera like they know we're here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I found that particularly funny, but I actually I love that particular moment. Um, basically the story gets together. Orlando finally finds Alan. Orlando finds everything. They walk through platform nine and three quarters or the non-union Mexican equivalent thereof. Uh, there's a little bit of fighty fighty and the fighty fighty actually has an almost, I don't want to say realistic because it's a fight between a, a vampire and an immortal guy and a woman who used to be a man who used to be a woman wielding Excalibur and a giant Harry Potter. But it it doesn't feel like a comic book fight. It feels like it feels like a, a, a someone trying to make a realistic version of a movie battle. And when you get to the end, it has a very satisfying ending, almost ninety pages long, which is pretty impressive to me. And it, is is I this is there another chapter in this, or is this the final final? I, I believe there's another book. I believe book four. Book, book three is Century. I believe book four is something that Alan Moore intends to do. Oh, okay. But I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been you know, necessarily looking into that because I've been going through and trying to find all of the references and annotations that I've missed. Because really the, the joy of this is catching things the second and third time around and going, I really should have, I should have got that. That Captain America moment of, I, I got that reference. I, I got that reference. It's not perfect, and Kevin O'Neill's art is always really brutal and really strange and almost – it's kind of like a Bertolt Brecht play in that I think it's designed to alienate us and make us kind of go, Ugh. but I would give it four and a half slices of meatloaf. Really, really well done. Probably the best volume of this book in the last three. All right. Excellent. So people can check that out. That came out last week from mm-hmm. DC Comics. And now let's jump a, what is it, a week or two ahead, Rodrigo, and check out two weeks from now, Enormous One. Or, I'm sorry, Enormous Number One. Rodrigo, I'm Enormous One. (laughs) No, Enormous Number One, uh, Tim Daniel, Mehdi Chegur, or the writer and artist on this. Uh, And uh, the the premise of the book is that... uh, Humanity is kind of coasting along mm-hmm. uh, on on their, the planet that they live on, and all of a sudden, giant monsters show up ah. all over the place and start wrecking the place. And basically, the apocalypse happens because of giant monsters. Stupid giant monsters! Yeah, they're always wrecking they're, my Christmas they're party everywhere. And you think that the Japanese would share their giant monster <laughs> fighting technology with the rest of the world? Their giant monster fighting technology is ah, run, run squash. Hey. <laughs> It is and not. Then, and Sometimes then five a guy kind of like flexes and grows ten stories, and he's wearing a silver suit. That seems to work pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And the five color coordinated kids with their robot dogs. Yeah. Exactly. Works. So yes, 
That is the premise of... Now, are these monsters from space or monsters from the deep or monsters um, from beyond? Over the course of this, we find out where the monsters probably come from. Mm. That's a bit of a spoiler. Monster though. Island? So, uh, I, it's more like Monster Valley. Oh, okay. But... Uh, We'll we'll let Stupid you Utah. yeah we'll let you figure that one out uh, if you wanna if you wanna pick this up since uh, comes out in two weeks yep. and there might be an embargo on spoilers. So when I saw this, I was like, "Awesome! It is a giant monster book, right?" Um, but it's kind of not at all. <laughs> it's it's a book. It's a story about this lady who is trying to rescue who is going around rescuing children from the wreckage of of the of the giant monster apocalypse okay and in the process runs into some brigands basically you know cuz society sure. has broken down sure. the first thing you get are brigands. are chicks trying to rescue kids and yes. the second thing you get are brigands Pi- pirates right are do they talk like pirates uh they don't okay um so it was a little frustrating for me because literally, and this, I don't know if it just seemed extra long or if this is an extra long uh, issue, but it it just seemed to go on forever playing out this story between these two groups of people, one that is kind of tenuously tied to whatever government still exists and the other, uh, the brigands um, and ruffians and ne'er-do-wells <laughs> and... Um, and and I, I I literally at one point as I was reading it was moving my head back and forward mm-hmm. like left and right trying to see if I could peek past oh, these characters. You know, that's actually to look at the monsters. That's actually kind of good storytelling, though, isn't it? No, you don't like that because you know there was a, in in film yeah. and I forget what Alfred film it was. Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock right? had that scene where the doorway's yeah, there and everybody's see. like yep. leaning trying to see what's around the corner. Now, I'm 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 more illustrating the point that uh there are no giant monsters in this. I mean, there are a few, mm-hmm. but they are so plot devicey that they might they could be anything. Yeah. Well, one of them in fact looks like the beast from 20,000 fathoms. Uh yeah, there's a little bit of like a spinosaurus yeah. looking guy and some like big uh, you know, kind Bring of giant goat-looking guys. I mean, it's the, the, all the monster designs are cool, uh, which brings me to uh, the next uh, thing about this book, which is the art. Now, anytime you do see a monster, it looks awesome. Yeah. Like, the monsters look super cool uh, off in the distance where they're not doing anything or being involved in the plot at all. Um, But the characters are really hard to tell apart from each other and all the characters at all times kind of have this like slightly placid look in their faces like it's clear that these are photo references well that's and they weren't necessarily making like particularly dramatic faces Mm -hmm. and any sort of drama that's been added to this face has been forcibly added to the face right because they're so close to photorealistic but they're not making a face. Like, they're just kind of looking yeah, yeah. at you. It, they, I was going to say, it's the first thing as I opened this to look at it, I was like, oh, that looks like Linda Hamilton. Oh, that looks like that guy from Jericho. Oh, that looks like that guy from Falling Skies. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of that going on. And and But it's actually... And that's a detriment, I think. It's It's a big detriment. And the second detriment is that it's really hard to follow what's going on. I was... There were times when I was, like, openly actively yelling 
Like I was <laughs> looking through this and I was like, what the F you guys, what is happening? Who am I? What am I looking at here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there were times where it's like these two groups are having a conversation and then it's like, there's just a, a, a random box that says an hour and a half later. And then they're still having this conversation. And it's like going back and reading through it. It's like, Oh, well this happened because the earlier part of this was happening during the day and they needed to be night for this, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, it is just so hard to tell what's going on. There's this middle scene in which uh main character gets captured by uh the highwayman and it is so difficult to tell who's who, who's on what side, who the people involved are. You cut back to their base and all like it's it's so difficult to tell what is going on even with the little things that tell you even with the little boxes that tell you where you mm -hmm. are and what you're looking at it is really difficult to tell what's going on at times like who went with who like the party splits up again at some points like who's on the buses with the kids and who's on the jeep are they together are they near each other is this just completely different um not to mention that there's a moment where the bad guys are like we gotta take the hero's base and then the heroes take off and it's like well, now we can take over the hero's base. There's probably only a skeleton crew still manning it. Yeah, well, let's chase after the heroes after all. Uh, I don't know. There's a there's like pacing, storytelling, and uh, definitely sort of uh, layout issues with this. And it makes it very frustrating to read. Not to mention that there are not enough giant monsters. <laughs> well, I'll agree with you on that as I as I scroll through here. This is an oversized book. This is 64 pages yeah. of content. Um I'm I'm not really reading what's going on, but just looking at the pictures and if the pictures can't help tell half the story then I I I can see where you're coming from. And, on and this, they're I not I, they're... I mean there's some pretty colors. Oh yeah, I mean any time that you get to a splash page or like a splash panel that's like maybe half the page or something like mm -hmm. that. And it's like, look at the the world after the apocalypse where nature has reclaimed it. Yeah. It it looks really pretty. I mean, there's scenes where like they're in a building and light is coming through the the windows and you can see like the dust flying around and it's like mm -hmm. really bright and colorful and interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but that happens while characters are like talking to each other and... Uh, what I can only assume is switching faces with each other mm -hmm. and like positions and where they're standing and there's like major jumps in time in between. So it's just like really confusing. So, I mean, this, I, this book accomplished something amazing, which is that it really made me not want to read more about a world where giant monsters have destroyed <laughs> the world. I am, I am not into this. I'm going to give this uh, one and a half slices. This is this is not not a book that I enjoyed at all. It, I was actively frustrated by it. Um. Okay. I I haven't read everything, but I can I see where you're coming from by reading through this, and that's kind of a shame, especially for a book of this size. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, you can head over to majorspoilers.com. You can check out more reviews, plenty of them over there, including a uh, review on. Uh, Oh, where is it now? Oh, Batman number 10. Uh, uh, or I'm, I'm, is it Batman? Don't, Dark, Dark Knight number 10 uh, that Jimmy's reviewed. And he's also got an interview with uh, the writer of that series or the new writer of the Batman Dark Knight series over there at Major Spoilers. All right, now that the reviews are done, it is time for that favorite part of the show that we like to call 
The major spoilers. Poor. It's time. What? It's time. Time for what? Time. My friend, time in a bottle. Time is a many-splendored thing. Time, time, time. See what's become of me. It's time. Sorry, some weeks I have to take a moment to, you know, work myself up to full speed. For the major spoilers. Power of the week, 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 week. So this week we had a uh, listener write in who was trying to get into comics, has only been into them for a little while. Um, But uh, he was curious and, and posed this question. Um, when you're going for the the collected issues, which is better, the paperback uh, ed- trade or the hardbound edition uh, of the trade? And he seemed to make some valid points for his uh, argument in that he seems to think that sometimes the double page double page spreads work a little better in the hardbound. He thought uh, than in the paperback, hmm. um, but he wanted to know what we thought, and so we turned that into the major spoilers poll of the week. Which do you prefer, the trade paperback or the collected hardback, Rodrigo? I prefer the non-ostentatious hardback. <laughs> that is to say, yeah, the non-oversized, the non-double-gilded, golden, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. magical uh, version of it. But yeah, if if it's like the the your one volume or maybe double-sized mm-hmm. at most hardback, hardback, that's what I prefer. You like those Hellboy Absolute Editions, or the what are they, the Hellboy Library Editions? Um, I I do like them. I haven't bought them because I started buying the soft covers. Oh right, right. Before those started coming out, and now I'm like, well, I don't want to have half and half, so I just keep buying the soft covers. Oh, okay. Maybe someday when I have lots of money, I will go back and buy hard hard versions of them. Okay. Um, or I will just have them downloaded directly into my brain. <laughs> Rob, what about you? Uh, I go with. Rodrigo's point of the half and half. I prefer the paperbacks because mm-hmm. I started collecting, like getting uh, collections in paperback first. And so I've got this whole slew of paperbacks. If I get a hardcover, it doesn't look right on the <laughs> shelf. Right, right. Like it, it's it's all the aesthetic for me of I have all these trade, all these paperbacks. The hardback just sticks out like a sore thumb. Like the one hardback I have is it looks horrid when I actually try and put them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's also the fact that it's a lot cheaper to get them in the paperback, right, right. but mostly it's the aesthetic thing. I want everything to match and the paperbacks match more often than the uh, hardbacks. Okay. Matthew, what about you? Well, I honestly, I always prefer the original issues and that's, you know, kind of my catchphrase now, but given the choice between, a hardback and a trade paperback. I usually go for a trade paperback for one very important reason. Uh, when I moved from Hayes to Topeka, I did so with my comic book collection. And I had several friends who threatened to no longer speak to me because they helped to move my comic book collection. And hardbacks are three to four times heavier. Even if you stick them in a short box a box of hardbacks is probably, you know, the equivalent of carrying a kid on your neck. So, I mean, from my perspective, I've actually had um, a couple of uh, cheap Walmart bookshelves collapse under some of my trade paperback and hardback <laughs> collections. Two key so, words there in that phrase. Cheap that? Walmart. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I <laughs> didn't realize. Not all of us can afford Ikea, Stephen. <laughs> now, I, I go to the Ikea Home Ikea is Depot. a threat, but... No, no you're totally you're you're you know you're totally right because the hardbound volumes obviously have more mass to them. They've got the <laughs> hard 
uh, covers that do take up space. And depending on what kind you get, uh, if you're getting the Invincible Omnibuses or the DC Absolutes, or you're going for those Hellboy Library Editions, or you've got yeah. the uh, IDW um, uh, Bloom County uh, Collected Series, those are big volumes. They weigh a lot. They take up a lot of space. They are uh, cumbersome to move around. All of those things are, are correct. Um, I prefer the hardbacks when I can get them because there's the durability issue in that I'm not afraid that my old paperback copies of the Calvin and Hobbes books have long ago been destroyed because of constant reading, constant dropping, being rolled up here, rolled mm-hmm. up there, little kids you know, messing around with them, etc. But the Calvin and Hobbes complete hardbound 200-pound collection yeah, is still on the shelf. I, well, yeah. I mean, there's still little children trapped underneath it today for yeah. uh, trying to lift it. So, you know, yeah. I really like the hardbound. But here's the problem. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get a trade in a hardbound collection. Right. Because they might never even print it. I they mean, may never print it. Yeah. They may never print it I mean, it look all. how long it took them to get Watchmen in that big, giant, absolute edition. Mm-hmm. You know, decades. 20-odd years. Took the movie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's very easy to just walk into the store, plop down 25 bucks, and pick up a paperback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I got into, well, I guess um, um, Lock and Key, the first trade was only available as a hardbound yeah. volume. But, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's rare that you can go down and just pick up the first six issues of, you know, pick a, pick a series, Star Trek meets Doctor right. Who. Right. That's right. more than likely never going to be collected into a hardback edition. So What's you're probably going to have to get in paperback. It used to be the other way around because right. I remember when uh, the Vertigo trades, especially Sandman, they would come out in hardback mm-hmm. first, and you'd have to wait like five months yeah. before they went to the soft. Well, and, I, soft and I think the reasons that is just economy. The, the companies realized, hey, nobody's buying these hardbacks because they're 50 yeah. bucks a piece, and or they're, we don't they're sell filling our warehouse, and we can sell five times as many in paperback. So well, you they know, s- yeah. still release stuff in a hardback first on them for the most part. They're like almost all the no. – I know Justice League – uh, the new Fifty Two yeah. Justice League came out in hardback. It's not out in paperback yet. Yeah, that's right. those like are the, those are some the, rare exceptions well, because they know people are into and, it. And but that's the thing is, if you want to go out and choosing get, a choosing a hardback as a company, choosing what you put into hardback right. or softback is in and of itself a marketing yeah. move. Mm-hmm. And right. that's that's yeah. probably I mean, why a lot of the Vertigo stuff came out as hardbacks because they were like, well, the Vertigo crowd is a little bit more sophisticated. Clearly, they have more money to spend. Yeah, Starman, right. all in paperback originally. It's only now that we're getting that final hardbound volume. Why the yep. Last Man was the same way, where mm-hmm. paperback first. So, I mean, it really depends, but there's no guarantee. You know, if you want to go out and get issues 7 through 11 uh, or 7 through 12 of Justice League New 52, yeah. There's no guarantee that they'll even put that out on trade for five years. So The weird um, thing right now is Marvel has actually gotten into the habit of, with limited series, yeah. you'll see in the, the previews, you'll see the solicitation for the last issue of the limited and the hardcover collection in the same month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, Which, you know, um, um, they'll do that also with their master collections. They have a couple of different yep. versions of that where they have two different hardbound versions and yep. a paperback version at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our spoilerites said Rob said I went with the trades as well. They're more affordable. I think he's talking about the paperbacks. Uh, George W said I went with the trade paperbacks, but for there are some books that I collect in hardcovers, usually the lock and key. Uh, BVK says I went the trades for monetary reasons. Uh, Mela says I'm going to take the cop out route and say it depends on what's being collected, which again could be a big deal. Yeah. Now I won't even buy trade paperbacks of um, Invincible. I'm waiting for the big omnibus collections to mm-hmm. fill that out. 
Uh, Dan says I had to go with the paperback. Jim uh, went with the hardcovers. Ryan said the hardcovers. Uh, and then Air Spider uh, said if you have the money, there's nothing like having a hardcover version. Matthew, how did the rest of the major spoilers nation vote on this? As of the point that I have right now, I'm showing 130 votes. Let me refresh that just to make sure. 74% of that 130 were actually saying trade paperback, which is probably, what, 80, 81 people? The remaining 26% leaning towards the hardcover. I really do think that the monetary factor is probably a big one in why more people buy the trades than the hardcovers. Listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can cast your vote in the poll of the week. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about naked ladies telling stories to tiny puppies. Stick around. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, Major Spoilers. Cat Halo from the forums here. It's been a slow movie week, no new releases to speak of. But I did watch all the Spider-Mans, the the spider Men, all the all the Spider-Man movies, in preparation for Amazing, which I'll actually have seen by the time everybody hears this. Hello, future people. Um, I have reviews for the first three up on my Facebook page, Cat Halo Movies. In short, in order, they are good, great, and ghastly. I wonder, is Spider-Man 3 actually worse than Superman 4, Batman and Robin, or The Spirit? Um, anyway, I'll have thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man up by the end of the day. I'm quite psyched. Um, uh, the fact that it's directed by Mark Webb is just cool. Webb, Spider-Man, deadly. So, in lieu of movies, it's been a very comic book heavy week, so I've been catching up on a load of my monthlies, reading the last three to five issues of a bunch of titles. I'm loving The Flash. Francis Manipal's writing is good, and I'm in awe of his art. I'm liking Jeff John's work on Aquaman and Justice League, and I'm really quite intrigued by this whole Trinity War idea hinted at in the free comic book day book. I'm also really enjoying Morrison's action, and I'm you know, quite impressed by the new creative team on Superman. It's definitely a big improvement. I'm not blown away by AVX, or Versus for that matter, but I am still interested enough. I am wondering, though, as we enter the second half of the year, what have been your comic highlights so far in 2012? And my weekly poll on Cat Halo Movies on Facebook has been, uh, what's your favourite movies so far this year? So just, you know, think on that. And, you know, there we have it. Um, As I said, I should have my amazing Spider-Man thoughts up uh, on my Facebook page by the end of the day, and I should have a little verbal thing for everybody here next week. In the meantime, follow Cat Halo Movies uh, on the Twitter, like Cat Halo Movies on Facebook, and just check out the Major Spoilers forum, because it's awesome. Thanks, everybody, and have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for those feedbacks, thoughts, ideas, and, of course, reviews that people are sending us all the time. We really appreciate those. We really appreciate everyone who is part of the Major Spoilers experience, whether you can be a part of one of our podcasts or be part of writing on the site or join us in one of our uh, meetups or donate to the cause or just be a part of the forums. No matter what you do, we love everyone who's part of the Major Spoilers experience. Send send Matthew cheese. Especially, Especially at this time of the year because, you know, this week is all about the major spoiler six birthday celebration. We'll have more about this this weekend when we talk about the independence. I'll give you a little heads up. Um, Monkey Brain Comics was a big deal announced this past week, mm-hmm. just a few days ago. First round of comics is already out on Comicsology. Um, Chris Roberson's going to join us this weekend. Or actually, we're going to release. Tell you what, we're going to do a big deal. We're going to release the next major spoilers podcast not on Saturday but on Friday, so that people can can check it out. That's how much we're excited about our sixth birthday. And you know what else? 
We've got this other little podcast that people seem to be, to uh, have taken akin to. Uh, Munchkin, Munchkin Land is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's all about the game Munchkin. We sit around, we play that, we talk about it. Go check it out. Um, most people have known, if you've been with us for six years, you know that during the holiday, well, I call it the holiday, our birthday week for major spoilers, a lot of new things come out. Mm-hmm. Well, Munchkin Land has come out, and in the past we've done a lot of pilot shows that turn into regular series. Right. So that's one announcement that I'll make. And I'm going to make another one right now. If you've made it this far into the show, here's an exclusive for you. We'll have something <laughs> we will have something more uh uh more for you up on the website shortly. But uh I have been hinting for a while about what do we do with the smaller publishers? Mm-hmm. What do we do with those independent publishers? We have so much stuff on majorspoilers.com that it sometimes feels like those small publishers just get pushed off that front page. They don't get as much attention as we would like. Certainly being on the front page of the Major Spoiler site is kind of a big deal because it has some longevity, means more people are going to see it. And I just kind of feel bad for the small publishers. This is where the spoilerites come in. Mm-hmm. About six months ago, maybe it was three months ago, I was Sometime in the last 16 some, years. <laughs> sometime in 2012 to this date. Uh, uh, somebody on Twitter said, hey, you should create a site called Minor Spoilers, and that can be the place where you can you can share all this news about the small publishers. Well, I'm happy to announce that if you go to Minerspoilers.com, you will find a site that is a celebration of the small publisher. Why now, didn't I know about this? Oh, come on now. Wait, hang on. <laughs> Minerspoilers.com. The minute that that person mentioned it on Twitter, and I think that, and I forget who that person was, yeah, but I said, here. I said, it's I'm buying awesome. that URL, and that URL will direct you to the Minor Spoiler site now. You will say, hey, this is the same stuff that's on the regular Major Spoiler site. It is, but that's the content for the small publishers, not the top five publishers, but the small publishers that gets a little bit more face time, uh, a little bit more commentary than what you would find on the on the main site, uh, but that's the place. Uh, that's a celebration. Yes, you will start seeing original content appear on that site, but minor spoilers. Man, that's a second announcement. Big announcement. Whoa. You know, Ooh. a podcast, a website. Mm-hmm. That's two. We're six years old. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bet that in... And how many more months, Rob, are there left in the year? Um, don't ask six, Rob to do six math. months left in the year. I'm going to bet that we're going to have a major announcement every month until the end of the year. Whoa. Keep watching the skies or our website uh, or our websites. And by the skies, we mean our website. So Matthew, don't been, go outside. Matthew, Stay you've been uh, kind of keen on the minor spoiler site. I have. What do you think about that? Oh, you just now told me about it as far as anyone knows. <laughs> I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think this is a really good idea because one of the great frustrations is, you know, when something gets bumped off the page before someone can see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially with the companies, I think, who probably need a little bit of extra rub or in that moment yeah. where it's like, you know, let's, let's give them an extra day, week, you know, mm-hmm. let's give them a little more time, someplace where you can go and see specifically what's related yeah. to those publishers. So minor, I think it's cool. The, the, the minor spoilers that we're talking about, and we're not putting the, the publishers down, but we know that they're smaller press uh, companies. Right. 
This does not include Marvel, DC, Image Comics, Dark Horse Comics, or IDW. IDW was right on the verge, but uh, we went and based this on IDW's, um, not IDW's, uh, Diamond's, uh, distribution. They have their gold publishers or their premier publishers, and there's five of those, and everyone else is basically and the rest. Mm-hmm. And so your booms, your dynamites, yeah. your aspens, Ooh, your Archie. archies, all of those. Xenoscopes. Xenoscopes yep. all fall within the realm of minor spoilers, and we're happy to show the, that information. And if you're someone who doesn't care for the big publishers, if you're really interested in Monkey Brain Comics and that news, it's there on the site. You can go check it out. So uh, yep. we're uh, very excited about that, and again, more to come. Awesome. But... Let's talk about, now back to the show, let's Battle talk about Pug. Battle Pug from Mike Norton. Um, this okay. series has been out for a while, right? Is this a webcomic that is being collected for print? Do you guys know? That's kind of what uh, it was implied at the end of the book. Okay. That's sure what it felt like, I'll tell you that for certain. Okay. Uh, Rodrigo, why don't you give us a rundown of Mike Norton's Battle Pug? Okay. Now, we will give this a heads up that there's a lot of a naked woman rolling around in a bed. She right. is never completely naked. Well, darn it. There's there's <laughs> never full nudity. Yes, yes. But she is always completely naked. Yes. Sometimes well, she's covered I with a tattoo. Uh, unless you count and henna sometimes, as, yes. as clothing. Sometimes she's covered with a sheet. All right. So, uh, Battle Pug is the story of a nameless barbarian hero who eventually befriends a crazy, uh, I'm going to say railroad operator, uh, (laughs) hobo man. Right. And an enormous pug who is probably, you know, eight hands tall or something like that. (laughs) Probably 15. 15 was a horse, so it's about a 15. He's probably bigger than that because it was taller than he was. Yeah. At the shoulder. Yeah, it was taller than he was at the shoulder. Fine. <laughs> we'll say no, he's between horses. two and thirty-six hands tall. Yeah, right. He's um, the size of a small pony. Right. And that's rather strong. But yeah. uh, so in this tale of uh, friendship and battle, uh, we meet a lot of characters. We mm-hmm. uh, basically follow. This is this is the barbarian story, at least so far as he. Uh, we we get his his the, the backstory of why he is the way he is. Um, it's yeah. a it's a story full of tragedy. Yeah, he loses his family. He is a slave for a long time, and eventually he breaks free and goes looking for vengeance on uh, who the person who he believes uh, is responsible for the death of his family and every calamity that has befallen him. And that's Thulsa yeah. Doom, right? Uh, yes, uh, there's there's a very, I mean, there is an entirely unashamed, Yeah. Uh, this is like a, a complete Conan riff, like there yeah. is not oh, yeah. in any way, I mean, this character has no name, right. so you could very well believe that he is basically Conan. Is Just, is that a big deal for you guys? Um, I actually like that, I because it's... That's one of the things that makes it feel to me like a legitimate webcomic, if there is such a thing, in that it's, I mean, it's a fun comic and it's kind of a parody comic. And when you parody sword and sorcery barbarian, mm-hmm. you might as well go to the source. Rob, the what sorcery. about you? Uh, it didn't 
phased me at all. I didn't really notice it until you guys started saying something. <laughs> Rob. I have no idea what Conan looks like. Rob, have you, ever, have you ever seen? Have, have you ever, ever read a comic book, Rob? <laughs> this is, this is Rob's seen... last show, by the way, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan movie? I don't think I actually have. Okay. Oh, Rob. You know, I, like, I can understand you never reading the fiction or, yeah, yeah. or, or all that stuff. And some but people that, haven't no, read that, the Marvel I mean, Conan stuff. Know, I mean, that, that sure. movie's relatively old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, probably the only reason why I've seen it is because it's one of my dad's favorite movies. Oh, really? Yeah, he really loves it. Okay. Um, the lamentations of their women. So, and I mean, and I the like it a lot, too, because uh, it, I forget which one it is, if it's the second or the, or the first or the second one. He like punches out a camel. Right? <laughs> in the first one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're in the market. Yeah. Like a camel's all like Mur! and he's like boom. Yeah. Awesome. I think he may do it in the second movie too. Maybe. Um but yeah, this is a total riff on, so, on the Conan. Here's the here's the origin. thing that's that's cool about this is that this is basically Conan mm-hmm. set in a different universe. Right. And in this universe similar things are happening, but they're all ridiculous. Right. He yes. you know, he is a young man who uh, tragedy befalls and his village is, is destroyed mm-hmm. by a giant baby seal. <laughs> right? It's a giant baby seal that destroys his village. And it is so cute and looks so happy to be destroying his village. And all his people are running away and everything. Uh, and so... And then, of course, immediately after that, you know, he's all alone, so he gets captured and he's enslaved by Santa Claus. That evil <laughs> northern me. winter king. He's the king of the Northland elves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he, Santa he is Claus a, is owned by the Coca-Cola Corporation. He's a he's a mighty a mighty warrior who is uh, very tall, has long white hair, a long white beard, and dresses entirely in yes. red. And of yep. course, his minions wear uh, striped hats <laughs> in, in festive colors. Mm-hmm. The so, Northland Elves. Right. So, you know, there's all this really wacky stuff going on, but it really, weirdly at its core, it's still the, the that that Conan story. Right. Now, as was mentioned before, the story is, uh, it's a story within a story. Mm-hmm. We have a narrator to the story who is a woman named Maul, mm-hmm. and she is telling this story to two talking dogs. Right. And we don't know anything about her or the talking dogs other than a glimpse of their personalities, mm-hmm. uh, other than she lives in some kind of palace right? and apparently is not allowed to wear clothes. Yes. Uh, because she is well, naked. Well, maybe, maybe she's just relaxing in her bedchamber. Could be. Um, I know I come again, home from a hard day and get naked sometimes. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Three, Good night, everybody. Three, Rodrigo had to two, swallow a little vomit there. Three, two, one. We don't know anything about her. Um, Except she's incredibly hot. Right, Mike Norton's yes. art in this book is fantastic. Um, I, I love can, her tattoos. Yeah. I can I can tell. And, and here's here's the funny thing. She's She's totally naked most of the time, except for one, maybe two shots. And I can tell by looking at it that it's basically because they were like, you know what? If we want this published eventually, yeah, yeah. we probably want to, don't want to do a straight-on butt shot. Right, right, right. And so the, the one time that you do see her with a sheet, it's from behind, and then it's immediately gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the next scene, we see her. So there's that that eye candy in the uh, in between 
uh, segments in which we cut back to these dogs having arguments over where this, uh, which direction the story should go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in those moments, we do get to once again see a naked chick. Mm-hmm. Right. The I mean, it, it's pretty serialistic uh, storytelling. Right. He goes from one adventure. He's a boy. He's raised by the evil northern king of the elves. Right. Escapes. Goes to find his way in the world as this big strapping young man. Uh, mm-hmm. Finds his crazy sidekick. Mm-hmm. His Ben Kenobi his, mentor. Scribbly, 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 finds his scribbly, scribbly. Uh, his steed. Mm-hmm. Fights a gopher monster made out of gophers. Right. <laughs> discovers a girl in a box. Well, meet some people. Oh yeah, meet some meet some people. Meet some travelers yeah. who mm-hmm. are kind of on edge. Thinks nothing of it. Goes to the town where he's trying to get to to get basically to get to his next adventure, and realizes that the town is closed because somebody's stolen something very valuable. Mm-hmm. Realizes that those guys are thieves, mm-hmm. and goes back to have a battle fight with them. To, to the plane of the composite prairie dogs, which, mm-hmm. by the way, cracked me. Yeah, up. it was pretty funny and kind the of composite gross at the same prairie time. dog. Um, and then that's where the story ends. We just they discover the girl in the box. We do yeah. get to see. Uh, the the guy at the very end who we're, I'm pretty sure is the guy who uh, was at least hurting the giant baby harper seal <laughs> yeah, yeah. towards his towards his village yeah um, now he is older you know his his hair is a little lighter but uh, clearly he's still pulling the strings in what's going on in some way he seems to be involved with the girl in the chest uh, plot line the uh, Conan character pretty much Conan straight off. I Pretty mean, much, yeah. That, yeah. that characterization, though, I think is very well done. He's got a bias against anything that's a giant animal. Right. right. Um, crazy Coot. Yeah, I keep scribbly, hearing scrabbly. the Gabby Hayes scribbly, voice. Scribbly, 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 scribbly. Do you like that character, Rodrigo, or was he too annoying? No, he was okay. I mean, when, when, I, when he appears... It's funny because he appears and he's like, "Oh, you gotta be careful, scribbly scribbly." I'm like, "Well, that character's sticking around. <laughs> I bet he's not going away." But it's okay, you know. He, he, my concern would be that he doesn't serve his purpose or that he gets like he's basically a lot so in the background, yeah, like yeah. just the kind of distracting yeah, away yeah. from what's going on. Uh, and he's not. He moves the moves the story along mm-hmm. while simultaneously being goofy comic relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, the this whole book revolves around the, the, this nameless barbarian mm-hmm. who is the only serious actual right, like, right, right. character right. in the book. Everything else is absolutely ludicrous. Right. And right. it's it's funny because this universe is totally weird. And it becomes extra hilarious when you stand this main character who totally doesn't get it right. next to it's, it. Like, it's basically it's, Conan in the middle of a Looney Tunes it, cartoon. It really well, is. and I mean, uh, this has a lot of tropes in it as well. I mean, there's the uh, the classic heroes meeting and thinking that they're against each other. I mean, mm-hmm. as he leaves the scribbly scrabbly town, um, looking for the villagers, he finds all their dead bones, their dead bodies, and he oh, turns yeah. around and sees Battle Pug. Right. And he thinks, "Oh, you're the one that has killed all these. Prepare to die." And then a giant frog shows up and tries to kill mm-hmm. uh, the the <laughs> warrior. Die. Throws yeah, the it's... sword at him. Yeah, misses. The pug runs off. Yeah, the pug <laughs> runs <laughs> off. <laughs> <and> <laughs> the so then we have Maul, the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Don't really know much about her, Rob. I mean, what do you what do you think of her as a character? Not her as a somebody laying naked on a bed. Ah, uh, 
there there really wasn't a lot of character there other than storyteller and mm-hmm. felt more like I felt like a mom to the two dogs, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, a lot of dog owners get into that mentality anyways. Right. So, other than just being a storyteller and some obvious eye candy, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot to her. So, Shirazad. Uh, you know, yeah, definitely trope-wise. Yeah. You know, if you look at the city that she lives in, mm-hmm. there are minarets uh, and the windows are those windows that you see in mosques mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's meant to imply a strong Arabic feel. You could you could argue that the tattoos do as well, although I would say that they look more Indian to me. But there's there's a strong, you know, attractive young woman tells you a story right. in an Arabic setting is is almost this close to beating you over the head with Shahrazad. <laughs> and then yeah. we have the two uh or I'm sorry, Matthew, go ahead. No, I I was agreeing with the the beating over the head. It's interesting to me. Okay. And then we have the two dogs who are not just dogs who sit there and listen to the owner just prattle on. They're talking dogs. Right. One of them a little bit more tough. The other one, the pug, a little bit more sensitive. Right. Uh, in in his storytelling, um, Colfax being the uh, um, the mean the meanie one. Right. And, yeah. Uh, he looks like a Boston Terrier. Yeah. Thank you. I've been trying to figure out what breed he looks like. And then Mingo, the uh, he's a pug, the, the bulgy eye pug. What worries me is the origin of Mingo. Because you have a you have a, a lonely solitary traveler and his giant obviously magical dog and I'm sorry that's just wrong I apologize for the inconvenience. Okay, I, I, I don't want to know. Moving on. All right, um, you know I haven't read. I mean, obviously we can go online right now. We can find out what happens next, right. which I haven't done. Uh, I want to, but I haven't because I didn't want to spoil anything. But um, I kind of get the feeling, I could be totally wrong, at some point, this is going to cease being a story that's being told and turn into a story that is real. Well, or we're going to start seeing parallels with our own story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, the, that's the other direction that I see this going. Because, you know, in the, in the Thousand and One Nights, mm-hmm. the Shahrazad story is why all the other stories are happening. Right. So we're bound to see some exploration of Maul mm-hmm. and, and why she's up in this really tall tower talking to some dogs. Mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, as far as the art goes, well, well, maybe before we get to the art, is there anything that you didn't like about the story, Matthew? This particular volume was way too short for my taste. Yeah, I would agree. I would, I would, you know, in terms of packaging, I can understand an inexpensive 60 pages, whatever. But I, I would have liked to have a bigger chunk of it. And, you know, knowing that there's more out there, I'm wondering if there is a little bit more about Maul and the dogs and, you know, the reason why the story is being told. I would say that the way this breaks down, it actually feels like, Issue one of six, which mm-hmm. is perfectly fine, but I didn't necessarily get an issue one of six vibe until I was about 40 pages in and, and you know, we're going, we're going, and then all of a sudden, oh, it sort of just kind of stopped. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, part of that, I think, is the fact that we are, we're clearly taking a, a digital comic and taking a break point in that story, but I think that, you know, it felt very much like a digital comic, and the the end of this volume didn't feel like a natural, you know, moment of progression to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
What about you, Rob? <laughs> um, <laughs> Matthew's sidetracked me. Uh, so is there the possibility that Maul could actually, like, we could actually start seeing Maul be the girl in the chest, so she's right. telling her story? Well, that could be, could yeah, be. that'd be interesting. Like, with yeah. where it cut off, that's kind of mm-hmm. one of the things I thought. And, and I expect that somewhere along the line, Maul is going to be, and that's how your grandfather came to the kingdom. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. I, you know, again, I would suggest people head over to battlepug.com if you haven't already. You can read. You don't have to buy this book. You don't have to buy the hardbound volume unless you totally despise reading webcomics. But you can go over there and read the story that we're talking about now, and or, we can or, go over there right you now. you love Battlepug so much that you want to support yes. the guys by buying them. Yes, and that's yeah. that's the other thing, too. Um, or you could head over there and find out what happens after this first volume. I mean, that's probably part of the hook, too, is teasing with the uh, free dose or the 1999 dose or whatever that this 60-page uh, issue goes for, and then get them to come over and find out the rest of the story while they're waiting for the next trade to be collected. I don't mind that idea. I don't mind it at all. I think no. that there are some... I mean, this is, you know... it's pretty... we, were, we were going through Rat Fist... Yeah, it's pretty uh, close to a tried and true model by now to yeah, just yeah. collect yeah. stuff in volumes. And I'm I'm certain that the reason why people buy these is because they like the comic mm-hmm. and they want to support them. And then they can put it on their coffee table. And yeah, oh yeah, relive their favorite yeah. mummies yeah. moments from Battle Pug. Um, but I mean, as far as the story goes, I mean, it, it's silliness and it kind of follows that that uh, rat fist kind of plot where every however often this comic comes out, you're telling everything or pretty much everything you need to know in that single mm-hmm. uh, edition and installment, um, mm-hmm. which does kind of make the story read a lot faster than yep. what you might be used to. Um, right. And so that's why, again, we blew through this so quickly. And at the end, I was like, really, that's it? I want yep. more. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, beyond the silliness, I mean, that's part, that's the, that's the real draw is the silliness of this Conan tale mm-hmm. uh, that's out there. As far as the art goes, uh, light. What are your likes and dislikes about that, Rodrigo? I don't really have too many dislikes about it, honestly. I thought that you know the 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 thing that the art accomplishes is it it gives you a tone for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, right now, because I also haven't read the uh, the comic all the way through uh, online. It's difficult to tell, like, you know, since she's telling this story, I would want or hope for a tonal, like a, a visual shift mm-hmm. between the story mm-hmm. and the, uh, the the world that, that Maul lives in. But if it turns out that the two stories are connected mm-hmm. and that this is actually happening in this world or has happened or will happen or whatever we find out, uh, then... I, I would give it a pass on that, uh, but really, that's kind of a high-end, uh, you know, storytelling thing that I'm not seeing here. Doesn't have to be. There's just something that I was uh, kind of hoping for. Uh, but other than that, the art is fine. You know, it does a great job of showing you this uh, this this guy who kind of doesn't belong in this world, mm-hmm. uh, but is still getting wrapped tighter and tighter into it to to the point where somebody actually says, you are the one who is going to uh, bring balance to the force in right. this crazy <laughs> yeah. animal universe. Yeah. Yeah. The Cerebus, the Cerebus uh, plotting will probably kick in soon. Mm-hmm. I, I just really like this art. I mean, it's very visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. It, 
it's um, that crossroad between realistic proportions with cartoony um, aspects and features to it that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really like it. Um, so I, I say really go go check it out because it's it, I, I just the art is just you could drool over it. So um, yeah. it, I mean it's, nothing's it's, nothing's well. Uh, unless you consider an actual pug to be this, nothing super deformed, right? Um, right. But uh, you know the the characters still have very strong, obvious expressions. Oh, sure. And you can always tell what everybody's yeah. feeling. It's it's a little cartoony in that mm-hmm. sense, but it, in a good way. Yeah. You know the the book that I reviewed uh, earlier yes. t- earlier mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. does not have that going on. Like right. nobody does any facial expressions, right. and right. and this like I prefer. A much a more stylized book where you mm-hmm. can always see things, even if it's in a in a quote unquote cartoony way. Right. Um, I much prefer that to something that's hyper realistic and just looks like somebody well, took pictures. Yeah, and I mean the the hero, you know, he's this big, strapping, muscular guy, and these these legs are like right. big, meaty yeah. beefs, and then you look at his ankles, and they're just these little little things. I'm going to show Rodrigo a uh, future encounter. Awesome. Uh, that uh, that he thinks we sold. That he will like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's, uh, there's bits of, of Todd Knock in here, and it kind of reminds me, in a very vague sense, but it kind of reminds me of the the simplification that you'll see in like Paul Vini's art, mm-hmm. where you have that form, and the form kind of ends up getting simplified, or you know, the, especially with you know Conan's legs. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you have that anime trope where the the backgrounds are super detailed, and the dog. Is like perfectly drawn. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, a, right. it's, a, it's a pug. Right, like you are looking at a pug. It's yeah. not like it's not a monster. It is a pug just drawn out of scale with Conan on its back, and that image alone, you know, is worth the price of admission. For there me. are, oh, yeah. um, I would say, definitely on the uh, the last Kinmundian. I guess is the closest we get to a name on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a definite. Uh, who's the oldest Kubert? Joe. Uh, Joe, there's there's kind of a like if you if you see some of his I think it's him. Kubert yeah the yeah, Kubert school see, yeah mm-hmm. if you see some of his like Kazar and mm-hmm. stuff like that there's you can you can see a lot of that going on here too yeah there's a definite uh, Busima vibe mm-hmm. in there John Busima yeah. and Conan as well so Battle Pug Mike Norton's Battle Pug Volume One it is out now from Dark Horse Comics comes out to. Uh, Today, depending on when you're listening, July fourth, two thousand twelve, seventy-two pages, fourteen ninety-nine. Um, if you're cheap, you can go to the website and read it. Mm-hmm. But if you want to support this, and I'm a supporter of this, go out and buy this book because I think it's I think it's worth it. I think it's entertaining. I think yep. the art is there. Yes, it is a a total riff on the Conan mythos, um, but it's done very very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I give it a fun. thumbs up. I say go out and buy it, Rob. Uh Definitely worth checking out. I would. This would probably be one of the web comics where I'd pick up a uh, actual physical copy of it too. So worth you probably out. wouldn't. You'd get to the store and find that Stephen bought the only <laughs> one. Bought the only one here in Asia. Rodrigo, I enjoyed it. I think that I might be more into buying a T-shirt mm-hmm. than necessarily this volume, especially if it's available online. But I, I will say this: I will definitely. Um, the day after tomorrow, when I go back to work, yes, we'll check to see if the if our uh, web filter uh, <laughs> is aware of Battle Pug, and if it's not, I'll probably start reading there, this regularly. It looks to be like there are maybe forty or so pages mm-hmm. 
that are new after the volume as I'm right. as I'm going through here. So yes. uh, kind of keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, very cool. Matthew, what about you? I say buy it. I say you know, worst case scenario, it's it's clever, it's entertaining. And, you know, even if it's something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend going to the website and reading it because I believe that web comics are kind of a scary way to read things. <laughs> you got to read them in big chunks, you know, like six or ten at a time. That's why all my web comics I read like twice a year. But it's definitely interesting. The art is pretty fascinating. I really enjoy the, the combination of the art. And I would say this is one that you should look into. Excellent. All right, it's not 450 pages before um, we meet the main character. Yeah, that's true, too. Forward by Scotty Young. Scotty Young, mm-hmm. who's done the Marvel, done a lot of Marvel yeah, work. The, the, uh, he the did the Marvel, Marvel Oz. Oz series, yep. Yep, so definitely go and uh, and check that out. All right, listeners, that wraps it up for this week's show. Thank you so much for being a part of the Major Spoilers experience. Thank you so much for being a part of, part of Major Spoilers for six years. And uh, next time, we're going to be taking a look at... At Dragon Age Volume 1, uh, The Silent Grove. Why? Because we know that you like comics, and we do too. And apparently we also like video games from BioWare, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store got here, it kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. Way to think about a better way, if I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving, it's like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline, but would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Shot up in a fine be in the middle east with a king santo and soldier what a major spoiler what a major spoiler yeah 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 what a major spoiler whoa 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 what a major spoiler major spoilers it's copyright 2012 Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.